Oh Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now so that I do not speak with unjust lips and a deceitful tongue. But oh Lord, we pray that you would help me to speak what is right and true and good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up our series again in the book of Philippians and Philippians chapter 1 and we looked at how Paul opened his letter with a prayer of thanksgiving, speaking about his prayers of thanksgiving uh, for the church in Philippi and how it's motivated by the love of the Philippians for him. They have been uh, great support to him. They've shown much grace to him uh, in his role in the in the in their midst, but also as he has gone further afield, they've continued to support him as a missionary from them. And now he speaks, we pick up this morning, about his love for the church in Philippi. So he's spoken of their love in verses 3 uh, through to verse 6, but now he speaks in verse 7 about the way that he loves the church in Philippi. He says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And then God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi loves him. He gives thanks for their love. But because of their love, he then also prays for them. He doesn't just thank God for them in prayer, but he also prays prayers of supplication is what we would term it requests to God. He makes requests in prayer to God for the church in Philippi. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning is this prayer that is given in verses 9 through to verse 11. What is it that the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Philippi? Well, the first thing that we notice in this prayer in verse 9 is that he prays that they would have love that abounds. Verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi is that they would have an increasing love and that this love would be uh, with knowledge and depth of insight. We see that in verse 9, that their love would increase. Of course, he's already acknowledged that they're a very loving and supportive group of people, but their love would increase and that it would be in conjunction with knowledge and depth of insight. But why does he want their love to increase? Why does he want their love to be a knowledgeable love, a a love that is governed by depth of insight? Well, we see that in the next verse that he says why. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best, that you may be able to discern what is best. What does the Apostle Paul want for the church in Philippi? He wants them to increase in love so that they can then discern, understand what is best, so they can actually do what is best. But then why would the Apostle Paul want them to do what is best? Well, he continues. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what does the Apostle Paul want? He wants the people in Philippi, the saints there, to increase in love with knowledge and depth of insight so that they can discern what is best. And why discern what is best? So that they can be pure and blameless and filled with righteousness. So they can be pure people. They can be blameless people. So their actions are actions that are righteous as they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. But why would the Apostle Paul want this? Why would he want the church in Philippi? Why would he want Christians to increase in love so they can make the best decisions, so they can be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, look with me at verse 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does Paul want? 
He wants God to be glorified. He wants God to be praised. And so there's this wonderful chain, really, as you look at this, at this prayer of the Apostle Paul. He wants their love to increase. And he wants that love to be knowledgeable and have depth of insight. And then he wants that so that they can make the best decisions, so they can then be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness, to the praise and glory of God. And so this is what he wants for the church in Philippi, and this is what he then for prays for the church in Philippi, and for, of course, God's glory and honour. Now, do we need this same chain in our lives? Do we need to have this kind of prayer prayed for us? Do we make the best decisions? When we are faced with options before us of we could do this or we could do that, do we choose what is best? And so we don't need this kind of prayer to be prayed for us. Or do we make poor decisions? Do we do what is not best? And therefore we do not give glory and praise to God by our actions. I think we must admit that we often make poor decisions. We do not choose what is best. When it comes to the little decisions, we fail to do what is best. Whether it be the way that we speak, expressions we pull, although at the moment a lot of our facial expressions are lost behind masks, but they're little decisions. The way we pull our face in front of people can be a best way to pull it or it can be a poor way to pull our face in front of people. Or from what we look at on our phones, the way we spend our idle time, brief moments that we have, little decisions about what is the best thing to do or what is not so good to do. And it can come to the big decisions as well. Who are we going to be friends with? What job are we going to take? The hobbies we choose to indulge in. Which church we choose to go to. And even big doctrines, whether we will believe that doctrine is true or not. We're faced with options. And one option will be the best. And another option will be not so good. And may even be a very poor decision to hold. uh, A poor option to hold. And when it comes to the situation we're faced now with COVID, I think we're faced even more with this difficulty of knowing what is the best thing to do? What is the best thing to do? We've faced decisions that we've never faced before. And that includes in our church life as well. I had a week off and I had some limited contact with some pastors even in that week off. But last week, I think, has to be the week where I've had the most contact with other pastors. And it's all about what should we do about this? What should we do about that? What is the best thing to do with this government restriction? And a lot of the time, we're, we're asking one another because we just we fail to know what is the best thing to do. And you may be facing that as well in your own life. What is the best thing to do in response to COVID regulations that are coming through and the COVID situation? as you take on the data, and it may be that you have some freedom to do one or the other, but what do you do? What is the best thing to do that will give glory and honour to God? And of course, we'll uh, make sure that we are pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness until Jesus comes. So how do we make the best decisions? Well, we have to test the options that are before us. This word that is translated in the NIV here before us in verse 10 discern, the Greek word there, is a word that is often used for the testing of metals, for the testing of metals, to see whether a metal is pure or not. 
And this is what we see in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, the same Greek word is used there, where it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, about the trials that have come to Christians. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Same Greek word there used in reference to testing of faith and in reference to really the testing of gold there, gold which is refined by fire. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that we need to test the options that are before us. Now, how do we do that? How do we discern what is best? How do we approve that something is the best thing to do in the situations that are before us? Well, we need to take blow torches to them, really, don't we? We need to take, you know, fire is what's the illustration there in 1 Peter, and fire is a very good way to test different metals, different heats, of course, will test different metals to different levels, and that's what we need to do when the options are before us. Why? Because if we take a blowtorch to a particular option, it can quickly fade away as impure and will not promote us to be blameless and not give glory and honour to God. And the best option will clearly come to the forefront and then we can select that. So what are the blowtorches that we have that we can test on the options that we face each day as we make little decisions and big decisions, as we make decisions about COVID and the restrictions that are upon us or even the information that is coming in and we're trying to work out what is the best thing to do. What are the different blowtorches that are offered to us so that we can discern what is best, therefore be pure and blameless, filled with fruit of righteousness to the praise and glory of honour of God? Well, the first blowtorch that I want to give you this morning that I think is given to us in this text is the blowtorch of love. The blowtorch of love. And that's given to us in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's love that he starts with there. He wants us to love, and therefore, because of the love that we have, we will discern what is best. We need to ask, when we're faced with options, is this loving? Is it loving to others, and is it loving to God? You may say, well, what is love? How do I define love? Well, that's where 1 Corinthians 13 is, that wonderful passage that teaches us what is love, where it says, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So as we're faced with an option, we have to ask, is it patient? Is it kind? Is it envious? Is it boastful? Is it proud? Is it rude? Is it self-seeking? Is it coming from anger? Is it something that is a keeping of record of wrongs? Is it a delighting in evil? Is it rejoicing with the truth? Is it promoting protection and trust, faith? Is it promoting hope? Is it promoting perseverance? So many of the options that we face, if we just ask, is it loving? Will we completely discard it as not the best? And we shouldn't be engaging in that. And we also have examples in Scripture as to following if we're asking what is love. How do I know something is loving? We can even look at the example of the Apostle Paul here. We see in these just opening verses that he has this wonderful affection for the people in Philippi. We should be asking, is what I'm going to do towards others like the Apostle Paul in the way that he acted towards the Philippians? And of course, the supreme example of love to follow is Christ Jesus. And we even see that in the way that he speaks in verse 8. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection 
of Christ Jesus. Paul's love is really Christ's love. If you want to know the depths of Christ's love, well, then, of course, Philippians chapter 2 is a great passage to look at where you see the humility of Christ as he took on flesh and gave his life as a supreme act of love. So as you face decisions, are you doing this? Are you looking to see whether a decision, an option that is before you, is really fake gold and it's burnt up very quickly by the blowtorch of love? But what's another blowtorch that we can use to understand whether something that we're thinking of doing, maybe a big decision, maybe a little decision, whether it is what is pure and blameless and righteous and will give God glory and honour? Well, the, another blowtorch we can do is the blowtorch of knowledge. The blowtorch of knowledge. We can take that to our options. And we see that in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We're meant to look at our options and say, what is loving? But then we're meant to look at our options and say, what is loving in accordance with what is true and good? We've already hinted at that by looking at a passage like 1 Corinthians 13 to know what is true and good by the definition of love there and the example of the Apostle Paul and Christ Jesus. But where is knowledge really found? Where is knowledge really found? Well, of course, it's in God's Word. It is in God's Word that we see depth of insight. It is in God's Word that we see true knowledge. And the Apostle Paul actually uses the same sort of phrasing about testing what is best in reference to God's word in Romans chapter 2, verse 18. Paul in Romans uh, chapter 2 refers to the Jews knowing God's will with practically the same Greek words there. Romans chapter 2, verse 18, he says, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, it's basically the same phrase that we have, uh, discern what is best in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. They know what is best because they are instructed, the Jews are instructed by the law, which of course is where we find true knowledge. And in that passage that Tade read for us before from Isaiah chapter 48, we see there that it is God who tells us what is best. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17, it says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. God's instructions are where true knowledge is found. Now, people would say, what about science? Doesn't science teach us what is true? And right? Well, scientists can appear to teach us what is true and right, but science is not 100% reliable. Why? Why is science not 100% reliable? Because it uses observations and calculations of probability made by weak, sinful humans. Every scientist is a weak person, every scientist is a sinful person. And so we see that science again and again, these ideas that are put forward as this is true and right and always will be the case, have been discarded through history. So many scientific textbooks are discarded even when they're only a decade old, let alone a century old, 
Where is true knowledge to be found? It was to be found in the voice of the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, and that is God. And so if we want to know whether something is the best thing to do, we need to ask, what does God's word say? I want to love people, but I want to love them with knowledge and depth of insight. Where do I get my knowledge and depth of insight? It's in God's word. And so the blowtorch that we have at our disposal as we hold it up to different options before us is God's word. And we throw the flame of God's word onto something and so many options evaporate altogether. As we look at God's law and what he would have us do, we see that's not best, that's not best, that's not best. Oh, that is the best thing to do in this situation. So two blowtorches so far. One is we ask, is what I'm thinking of doing loving? And what does God's word say? What's another blowtorch that we can use, that we can take to the options that we face? Well, we need to take the blowtorch of prayer to our options. The blowtorch of prayer. And we see this in verse 9. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Prayer is there at the beginning. Now, why do we need to notice this? Why is asking, is this loving, and what does God's word say, not sufficient as we look at options that are before us? We've got two blowtorches. Isn't that enough? I hold my blowtorch to this option. Is it loving? I hold my other blowtorch next to it. What does God's word say? Isn't that enough? Do I really need a third one of prayer? The answer is yes. Why? Our hearts are hard. Our hearts cannot generate love of themselves. Our hearts cannot understand the word so that we actually do what it says. And we see this in Romans chapter 2, that passage that I just quoted one verse from where he uses that same phrase about the Jews in knowing what is best from God's law. Paul, in that passage, he's actually saying, but you don't do what you know is best. Romans chapter 2. Look with me there now. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God, to God... If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, see, they know what is best. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? And the answer to every question is yes, 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 yes. Verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Pagans recognise that Jews do not keep their own law that has been given to them by God, God's law. Verse 25, 
circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. You're meant to keep God's law, not just know God's law. And so, if we hold up a blowtorch to our options of love and a blowtorch of God's law to it, it's insufficient because of hard hearts. We need help to actually do what is loving, to know what is loving and do it, and to know what God's law says and then do it. And how do we do that? Well, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can you do what is loving. And can you do what is in God's law? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us love. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand what God's word says. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to do what is loving and right according to God's ways. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit is love as God is love. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote God's word. So of course he can help us interpret God's word. And the Holy Spirit is power. So of course we can do what God's word says. Of course we can do what he's loving if the Holy Spirit gives us the power of God. But how do we get the Holy Spirit to help us to do what he's loving, to do what God's word says, to understand God's word rightly? It's by prayer. That's what Paul is showing us here. It's by prayer only that people's love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so they may be able to discern what is best so they can be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's only by prayer that we can somehow have the Holy Spirit to us. Of course, it's God's grace that gives him to us, but this is the method that God has ordained by which we can call upon the Holy Spirit to help us to do what is best. God hears our prayer for love. God hears our prayer for knowledge. God hears our prayer for power. And then what? He fills us with the Spirit so that we do what is best. So many of the options that we face when we're trying to make a decision, so many of the options that we face could be burned up if we simply came to God and asked him in prayer about them. They would be shown to be futile, not what is best. And another option that is the best option would come to the forefront and we would be given power to do what is best. And it's not just our personal prayers, but it's the prayers of others as well would help us. That's what Paul is doing here in Philippians chapter 1. He is praying for others to discern what is best. So many of the options that we face would clearly be discarded as inferior and the superior one would come to the front if we simply ask people to pray for us, that we would abound more and more in knowledge of depth of in, of, in love with knowledge and depth of insight. If we just ask people to pray, if you've got a big decision before you, what's the best thing you can do? Well, hold up the blowtorch of love. Is it loving? Hold up the blowtorch of God's word. What does God's word have to say about it? And then hold up a blowtorch of somebody else's prayers. Get them to come and pray for you as you make a decision so that you would do what is best. 
So as we make decisions all day, every day, as we face decisions from little decisions to big decisions, are we seeking to make the best decisions so that we will be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God? Do we try to make best decisions by asking, is this loving? Do we try to make the best decisions by asking, what does God's word say? Do we try to make the best decisions by praying about what we're doing and getting others to pray? But why, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to test our works with these three blowtorches? Well, what happens if we don't? Well, God's not glorified. He's not honoured. That was the ultimate goal of Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. And one day, those works that you've engaged in that are not best will be burned up. Will be burned up altogether and not survive. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the day of judgment. The Apostle Paul speaks very clearly about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, turn with me there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Where he speaks so clearly about the day of judgment and the fire that is coming that will test, test every man's works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone is building on it. Someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test. That's that same Greek word as translated discern in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. If you don't take a blowtorch... To your works now. God's going to take a massive fire and test them all. If you haven't burnt them up, if you haven't burnt up options and you've then engaged in them, God will burn them up one day. And you will be as ones who escape with nothing through the flames. So what should we do? Well, we should be testing. We should be testing now before God tests our works. We should be burning up decisions as faulty and false so that we do what endures. And so God is on it. And we are filled with joy now and forever because we are doing what is best and gives him praise. Now, you may be saying, oh, Joel, this is depressing this morning because I know that I've made many poor decisions, not the best ones, even very bad ones, and even in recent weeks, and months, I can think of a number of things that have not been the best. And this is depressing. And I know now why. I didn't think about whether it was loving. I didn't think about what God's word said. And I didn't pray about it. So, of course, I made the wrong decision. So what am I to do, Joel, as I reflect upon this? What is best for me now? 
What is the best thing for me to do as I reflect that I've made bad decisions? Let's repent and trust in Christ Jesus. Repent and trust in Christ Jesus. Why? Christ is always our best. Going to Christ is always the best thing you can do in any situation. Why? Well, why do Christians escape through the flames on Judgment Day? Why do they escape through the flames on Judgment Day at all? It's only because of Christ's good works. Him choosing what is best in every situation he ever faced while he was on earth. And they have been transferred to us, imputed to us. His righteousness is our righteousness. It's as though we've been given this suit of gold armour that covers us from head to toe. And so we are protected from that fire of judgment. We are pure. We are blameless. We are filled with the fruit of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, to the praise and glory of God. Because his righteousness has come over to us. Now, we've all made bad decisions and still make bad decisions. But such knowledge of our bad decisions forces us to go again to Christ, to repent and to trust anew in his work, knowing that we have his works covering us. We have a golden armour that no fire can penetrate and we will not burn up. And so we rejoice anew in him. I mean, that's what happens every time you repent. You come to rejoice again in the forgiveness of God. Like that time when you came for the first time and rejoiced in the forgiveness that God extended to you. You may say, well, what about my works then? What about those decisions that are before me? Well, they're simply precious metals, precious stones that we overlay that gold-suited armour that Christ has given us. That's what's being described there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. These precious stones, these precious metals that we add on to what Christ has already done. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ, we add those on to that golden armour that we have. Now, some of those things that we add on will be impure and will be burned up on the day of judgment. Those decisions we made that have not been the best. But many of those decisions that are the best, and we've chosen to do them by the power of the Holy Spirit, will remain and endure for all eternity as jewels that go into glory with us, as rewards for doing what is best. But this is a message of hope only for unbelievers, uh, for believers, isn't it? Think of the unbeliever now. If you're someone who does not trust in Christ Jesus, if you do not believe in Christ Jesus, you must recognise that you will not pass through the fire of judgement. Why? Well, you are not pure. You are not blameless. You are not filled with fruit of righteousness. You are not someone who glorifies and praises God with your life. You should realise that all your works, which you think are the best, will be burned up on the day of judgment. And then, and then you, you yourself will be burned up for all eternity, starting on the day of judgment. May it not be, if you do not trust in Christ Jesus, come to him now, ask 
him for forgiveness of sins. Ask for his righteousness to be put to your account. Ask for that armour of gold to be placed upon you so that at the day of judgment you will not be singed even by the fire that you deserve for your sin. Come to him and ask that at the cross your bad decisions, your bad works are put over to him and all his right decisions, his good decisions are put over to your account. His works are put over to your account so that you are safe on that day. And then start adorning your armour with precious metals and precious stones that will endure the fire of judgement because they're done in love, they're done in accordance with God's word, they're done by the power of the Holy Spirit and they're done for the praise and glory of God. Don't delay. Come to him now. Ask for that suit of armour. Ask for forgiveness of sins and then start to do what is best by holding up those three blow torches to every decision you make. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we must confess that we have often not done what is best because we've acted without love, we've acted without knowledge, and we've acted without prayer. Oh Lord, we do come before you and acknowledge this We also thank you that Christ cleanses us of all our bad works, all our poor decisions, and we are pure and blameless in him. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to do what is best for your glory and your praise. Oh Lord, we ask that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we are pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. And Lord, we ask that if anyone here this morning listening to my voice has not done what is best by coming to Christ, they've never done anything that is right ultimately in your eyes because they've never come to Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, we pray that you'd grant them faith in him now so that they may become pure and blameless and righteous in him and give you glory and praise. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.